Just a few short months ago, times were good. The economy was going well, everyone had jobs, and it looked like the future was as bright as can be. And then suddenly, we were plunged into times of darkness and hopelessness. The coronavirus pandemic that has killed over 100,000 people worldwide and resulted in a long period of time of everything being shut down. And that's brought about great economic uncertainty as many are unemployed. And now racial tension and riots are igniting cities across the land. Is there any hope at all? The answer is definitely yes. And coming up, you, believer, will see how God wants to bring the world that hope through you. Next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Fanus. We are in the midst of an extremely powerful series called More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. And the main point of our study is centered around powerful verses in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 15 and going all the way through to verse 39. As I mentioned in our previous episode, God used this chapter, all of Romans 8, in an extremely powerful way in my own life when I was going through my deep, dark crisis. And there was much that God taught me through that. I memorized all of Romans chapter 8, and that has had a profound impact on my life, not only in that darkest of crises, but also ever since then. And what the Lord taught me through that is what is informing this series that God has led me to share in this particular time. Today is May the 31st that I'm recording this podcast episode, and there's a lot that's going on with our world. It seems like every time you turn, something else has gone crazy. And over the last week, we have seen police brutality where a man uh, of color was uh, killed. And we saw the video and we have been appalled. And there has been understandably uh, racial unrest that's happened, people protesting uh, this great wrong and similar wrongs that have been done Uh, especially to people of color. And then there has been riots and looting and fires, uh, which I believe are instigated through outside parties. They don't represent the heart of those uh, who are concerned about this issue. It is a very dark time. And yet, I want to bring you great encouragement. And that encouragement is possible because of our Father God himself and his heart of love. Now, in our last episode, we were uh, bringing in verses 15, 16, and 17, talking about uh, the adoption that God has given to his children to make them not only children, but also rightful heirs indeed, 
a, a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And since that episode, and in preparing for today's episode, I really felt like it was important to provide more biblical depth in this concept of adoption. And let me start off by referencing Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. If you have your Bible and it's handy, turn right now to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. And it says this of God, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now we understand the incredible things that God did through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us. When he came and was manifested as the son of God and the son of man and lived the perfect obedient life in line with his father and then obedient all the way to the cross and all that the cross meant for us, and he defeated sin, Satan, and the grave, and rose triumphantly. And that same Lord Jesus Christ made possible something, I want you to hear this, that comes from the Father's heart itself. And that is that our Father did all this through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the purpose of bringing, as it says here in verse 10, Hebrews 2.10, many sons to glory. That just takes my breath away to hear our Father's heart of love. And then it says, this is so beautiful, here am I, says Jesus, and the children whom God has given me. I want you to, to understand that the basis of God adopting us into his family, and and we're going to get into what that means, adoption, um, in a moment. But that speaks so much about the Father heart of God, his love, his powerful love for us. And about that word adoption, as we find it here in Romans chapter 8, The Greek word for adoption is huothasia, which means to place as a son. Now remember, and we brought this up last time, that son in this sense of adoption, as it is used in the New Testament, does not refer to gender, but it means, listen, rightful heir. The believer is placed by God into his family. And not only that, they are given the full rights of sons. Let me provide a little bit of historical context of this concept of adoption or being placed as a son as it was in the New Testament time, as opposed to the Old Testament, where there really were not many recorded 
adoptions. But at the time of the New Testament, remember 2,000 years ago, this is during the Roman Empire, and in that Greco-Roman culture, adoptions were done in the families of nobility and the upper class. And it's important to understand the significance of adoption in that culture. And understanding the significance of adoption in that culture, the Greco-Roman culture 2,000 years ago, will give us a powerful insight into the meaning of adoption as used by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. You know, in the case of the nobility, adoption was essential if there was not a natural-born son to pass the royal line on. And perhaps the most notable example of this was Caesar Augustus, or the man that was known as Octavian. He succeeded Julius Caesar after Julius Caesar was assassinated. Now, it's interesting to note that Octavian was not a natural-born son of Julius Caesar. In fact, he was, I believe, a grand-nephew. And after the death of Julius Caesar, it was discovered in his will that he actually had adopted Octavian posthumously as his son and rightful heir to the throne. Can you imagine that? You are Octavian. Your um, granduncle is assassinated, and you're wondering who's going to be the emperor now. And then you receive word that, that, in fact, Caesar Augustus has set in his will upon his death that Octavian would become his son and therefore the rightful heir to the throne. Octavian was not a natural-born son of Julius Caesar. And Octavian was therefore made, through adoption, placed as Julius Caesar's son. He was therefore the rightful heir to the throne, and he became emperor. In fact, he was known as Augustus Caesar, who was the Caesar at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became Augustus Caesar because he was adopted as legal heir by Julius Caesar. One commentator has observed this. He says, yet the act of adoption superseded Caesar's own bloodline. Hence, New Testament historian Robert Lewis states that there could be no higher claim than to have been adopted by the ruler of Rome. Can you imagine that? See, I'm bringing this up because this tells us in this historical context of adoption, the power of what God means for you, believer, being adopted into his family as a rightful heir. We are redeemed by God from being slaves to Satan, sin, and self, and we are adopted as full rightful heirs, even joint heirs with King Jesus, Romans 8, 17. Why? Because Father God has adopted us. He's placed you believer, and me as sons and rightful heirs into his royal family. 
That is such love. That is such amazing love. This is the great love of our Father. We who are so undeserving, in fact, the only thing we deserve is damnation, curse, and hell. We have been redeemed by nothing less than the precious blood of God's only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father God himself has adopted us as sons and rightful heirs into God's royal family. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and, listen, have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That is what our Father God has done. He has redeemed us, and he has saved us, and he has adopted us. He has placed us as rightful heirs, as sons in his royal family. Indeed, making us, therefore, kings and priests to our God. Now listen, the rule and the reign that we actually have is under the rule and the reign of our Father, who happens to be the King. Let me say that again. The rule and the reign that the believer has is under the rule and the reign of God the Father, who is the King of all. Let's go to our text for today. It was just so important for me to bring that in from uh, a historical understanding of adoption, and it's bearing for us as believers, which is just so remarkable. I want to keep working this in, kind of like someone who's kneading uh, the leaven through a dough. You know, if you've ever made bread and you're just kneading it in, I I want this love concept from God to take hold. Okay. First, verses 18 through 19, Romans 8, 18 to 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, boy, don't we see it now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now I want to take a look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. First of all, I want to quantify something. Many times in this passage is taught, it's taught in such a way that it's all about, oh, we're suffering in this life and, oh, it's going to be that way until heaven. So there's no hope in this life, just suffering. No, that's not at all what this passage is about. You are not doomed to suffer here in this life and then have to wait for heaven for things to get better. Now, don't get me wrong. Heaven will be amazing. It will be incredible. But look at the context of this verse. 
You see, people who think, oh, yeah, you're doomed to suffer here in this life to the day you die and you have to wait to heaven for any kind of glory to be revealed in us, they, they take it out of context, out of the context of all of Romans 8 itself. And in fact, all of the book of Romans, chapter 1, all the way through to this point in Romans chapter 8. Listen, there is a great danger when we pluck Scripture out of context to proof text what we want it to say instead of being very careful to convey what God is saying. You see, this passage, and I'm going to say this a lot in today's episode because we need to hear it. This passage is all about, listen, our loving Heavenly Father's great plan to reveal his glory through his sons. Yeah, those adopted ones. And in verse 18, it makes an important contrast that's laid out between, on the one hand, the sufferings of this present time, and boy, aren't we really seeing this, and on the other, the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want you to notice that it says, that the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, the darkness of the sin-ruined creation searches for hope and real light. People across this globe are really searching for hope. They've had every single thing, it seems, in life kicked out from underneath them, the things that they depend on from day to day. I've had friends who've lost their jobs, and they are in a situation of worry and wondering about the future. But I want to let you know that there is a shining hope that God is doing in a dark time like this. This reminds me of what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, that says that we are, as children of God, we are children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generations, listen, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I like what it says, that the believer is like a light that is shining in this dark world, and we are holding fast the word of life. Now look at, back to Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says this, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now I want you to think about what this verse is, the scope of what it's talking about. It's saying all of creation is eagerly waiting. The earth, the animal kingdom, marine life, the birds in the air, human beings all across the planet. In fact, uh, our whole solar system and our galaxy and galaxies beyond. All of creation eagerly waits. And this eagerly waits is actually one Greek word. Uh, Ellicott in his commentary says that this is Uh, A very striking word. It means literally a straining forward with outstretched head, just as we might imagine the crowds outside a race course straining over the ropes to catch a sight of the runners, an eager 
intent, expectation. Imagine that. All of creation is straining to see something. What is it that they're straining and reaching to see? It says right here in verse 19, the revealing of the sons of God. Listen, friend, they are waiting for you, believer, and me. You might say, how can this be? Again, verse 18 speaks of the glory which shall be revealed in us. What is this glory that is revealed in us? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Now, do you you hear the pattern? Light shining out of darkness. And, And that's, you know, God did that at the beginning in the creation, didn't he? There was darkness, and he said, let there be light. He commanded light to come forward. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who, listen, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole context of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is talking about us. We're like earthen vessels that have this treasure within, which is the glory of God. You know, the glory is Jesus Christ himself. He's living inside of you, believer. God has commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This knowledge that's spoken of here is not a mere know-about kind of knowing, but it is an intimate, personal knowing of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm starting to get get excited about this. You see, it is God himself indwelling the believer, living inside of you, believer, and God himself manifesting his glory through us. Imagine that. The eternal God manifesting his glory through you, through me. That's what Father God did when his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Frail humanity on the outside, but God the Father dwelling on the inside. And what happened? The glory of God was manifested. Jesus taught with power and revelation ability. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. He raised the dead. Jesus said, and I'm just thinking now, he said, because I go to the Father, these works you shall do even greater. This is the glory of God manifesting his glory through us. Wow, that's amazing. Hallelujah. And you see, Romans 8, 19 says, the whole creation is eagerly waiting to see that in you. This is not for some way off future because 
there is a hurting, broken creation right now that doesn't exist in heaven. How do we know that this isn't speaking of something way off in the future? (laughs) We know it because of context. Look at the next verses, starting in verse 20, Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Stop the presses. Don't miss this. Watch this carefully. It will explain a lot of why things are so frustrating in this world. You see, it says here that the creation was subjected to futility. Now, you notice it says the creation was subjected. The creation didn't do this necessarily to itself. Now, there is a qualification. We'll get into that in a moment. But someone else did this subjecting to futility. Who could it be? Well, I'll give you a clue. Not Satan and not the sinner. First, let's look at this concept of futility. It says that the creation was subjected to futility. And the Greek word, which is here translated futility, means vanity, futility, worthlessness. Now, the Amplified Bible renders verse 20 in a way that I think really helps us to understand. For the creation, nature, was subjected to frailty, to futility, condemned to frustration, not because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it, yet with the hope. Now, I want you to think about our world for a moment. So many things are broken. Relationships, sickness, disease like this COVID-19, wars and conflicts. And we're seeing again, racial inequity and unrest. I've actually, in my own life, lived through three uh, large-scale times of racial uh, inequity and unrest. Back in 1968, there were riots all across the the nation. And then uh, uh, in the early 90s, remember the Rodney King beating and the... um, uh, protests that were going on all around and then they were there were looters and fires and so forth that were going on in uh, the Watts area of Los Angeles and then in our day there is also broken things like environmental problems educational problems poverty you see the world is broken and groaning but the reason why that's happening is because the world, and when I speak of the world, I don't necessarily mean like the created world, but the world system. The world leaves God out of the picture and instead turns to man for help. Now, that's a pretty flimsy basis for help, not turning to God, turning to man. And and when that happens, when we turn to man for help instead of God, Man fails and fails and fails. Futility, frailty, condemned to frustration. And, you know, in the United States, we're in another presidential election year. And again, there are the big promises and people are putting all their hope in a politician to be able to solve the problems. 
But our hope is not in a politician or other leader who will eventually fail us because they're mere flesh. No. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says, the creation was subjected to futility. Someone else did it. And that someone else who subjected the creation to futility is none other than God. Now, I want you to understand, not that God is in the futility business, but remember, again, context, going back to the beginning of the book of Romans, 118 through 25, where it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then in Romans 1, to 24, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed or exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness. You see, all of this unrest, frustration, failure, and futility, that was never God's original intent in the created order. But what happened? Genesis chapter 3 Man turned his back on God towards Satan and into sin. And the result of all of this is of man turning his back on God. All this unrest, all this frustration, all this failure, all this futility is because of man turning his back on God. Oh, but hold on here. Things get better. Look at the rest of verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, wait a minute. How how can there be futility on one end of the verse and hope on the other? Well, I'm telling you, this speaks so much about the incredible love of God. Just like it says in Ephesians 2.4, where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, friends, it's all a grand setup. God is the one who subjected us to this futility because of our sin and wrong. But he did it, listen, in hope. What? Hope? Out of futility? Yes. And here it comes, verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Did you hear that? All of this futility is because God means to bring hope to the hopeless mess of this world by delivering the whole creation from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty, the glorious liberty, listen, of the children of God. That's you, believer. Remember verse 19, 
where it says that the whole creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is why they are waiting. And ultimately, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ living and manifesting through us to the broken, dark world is the answer. As always, Jesus is the answer. But how can they see Jesus? They see him in and through you, believer. The answer to every single problem in the universe is one. The Lord Jesus Christ and the way that God the Father has meant for that to happen, that the broken creation sees his glory, is through you. Through his adopted son. What an incredible destiny. What an incredible and noble calling. We are God's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.18. We are the light of the world and his city on a hill, Matthew chapter 5. We are the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.5. So you see, God has adopted us into his family in love. He has blessed us with a rich inheritance. Not only that, but Father God has given us the great privilege to be about his business in the world. And that's what's known as the Great Commission, to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, and listen, manifest his glory to the world. Oh, my dear friend, this just thrills my heart. I want you to understand, again, what I said the last time. Be very careful when you hear these glorious truths. It's easy to disregard them because we'll look at ourselves after the natural, carnally, and say, how can that possibly be? Instead of who God made you and I as new creations in Christ. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You and I are brand new. Our destiny has totally changed. But look, God didn't save you And just give you a ticket to heaven. Thank God for heaven. Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. But God has something he means to do through you right now. In the midst of the darkness. Yes, even in the midst of unemployment or whatever you're going through, whatever crisis, whether it be the current crisis we're going through now, or maybe you're hearing this message years from now and you're going through some personal crisis. God is loving you calling you and saying, my son, my daughter, I mean to manifest my glory through you. The world is dark, but you have been made light for the world. Let's take some time and pray. Father, it all goes back to you. It goes back to your amazing heart of goodness and love and righteousness. Lord, 
this broken world, even our own brokenness, seems so big. But they're not bigger than you are, Lord. You are infinitely above and beyond it all. And I'm so grateful for that, Father. Thank you for your powerful love that has met us in the depths of sin, self, and Satan, and already provided through the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago redemption, salvation, deliverance, transformed from those who are of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Made new creations, ambassadors, children of God, rightful heirs, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ as adopted sons. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reaching us where we are. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for dignifying us, Lord, for giving us a noble life and noble calling. I give you praise and honor, Lord. I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would take the word that we have shared today and bring deeper revelation in our hearts of your heart of love and your great plan that you have to manifest your glory through the sons of God to a broken, hurting creation. And we promise to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to underscore what I said the last episode. Two things. Number one, now is the time for the body of Christ to rise up. This morning, our church, we just have a small church in State College, Pennsylvania. After weeks, months of this lockdown, finally we're able to get together again. And I'll tell you, it was very special Of course, we were very careful, but it was so fitting that the day that we would regather would be Pentecost Sunday. Do you know what happened on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago? Jesus ascended to heaven, and he told his disciples to wait in the upper room until they would be endued with power from on high, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And that would equip and empower them to go out and fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and make disciples. And we know what happened. But do you remember that right before the Holy Spirit coming on that incredible day of Pentecost, they were together in the upper room. This really touches my heart. And I thought about this. I shared this with our church this morning, that Just like us, we're together. And God did not call the believer to hunker down. God has called his church to stand together and to go into all the world. And here in our episode today, as we've studied in Romans chapter 8, 19 through 22, we see that God means to manifest his glory in and out through us to this dark world. I want you to be encouraged, dear friend. I I remind you, turn off the world's noise through especially the news and turn on the word of God. Amp it up. 
I know that God has put in me just a strong, passionate message, and I hope you hear the passion today, to the body of Christ. There is hope. And you know that hope. You know the one who is our hope. And the beauty of it all is he's adopted us, brought us into his family to bring this manifestation of his glory to a creation that is so eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And dear friend, also let others know about this series that we are in right now. More than conquerors in the darkest of times. Let them know they can hear it in the Daily in Christ podcast. More information about our ministry, about this podcast. In fact, all of the podcast episodes are available for listening and download form at our website, dailyinchrist.org. The Daily in Christ podcast is available in all of the major podcasting platform, uh, Apple Podcasting, Google Podcasts, also Stitcher, Spotify, um, TuneIn Radio, and if I can find some other platforms, I'll go ahead and get them available there too. So it's available to you without charge. Let them know about the real hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good help for you to do that is to direct them to this podcast and particularly this episode. Thank you, dear friend, for taking the interest and the time to uh, orient your heart toward God, to look to God in hope. That's why you've decided to get this podcast today, to listen in, to learn. And my prayer is that you have been encouraged and equipped for such a time as this. Dear friend, I'm Mark Van Oos, reminding you once again of what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him.